Hello and welcome to the fifth episode of Tailoring in Conversation. In this series, I'll be talking to tailors from all around the globe to gain a better insight into their worlds. My guest for today is Alex Bayo. Alex is a bespoke tailor and natural dye researcher who's previously worked at Miller's Oath, Paul Stewart and Tom Sweeney. Today, he's an awarded artist at Reframe researching natural dyes and fragrances. For those of you who don't know what Reframe is, Reframe is a collaborative research project where selected artists and designers team up with a community of scientists to rethink the manufacturing process of the fashion industry. The goal is to develop new concepts for the future of fashion by means of new processes and aesthetics that are inclusive and sustainable. Awarded artists will receive a grant of 55,000 euros. If you're interested in things like that, you can visit the link in the description of this video and check out what Reframe has to offer, perhaps for you. Let's not waste time and chat to Alex and see what he has to say. Alex, thank you so much for making the time. Uh, I'm very glad to have you here today and uh, look forward to our conversation. How are you, first of all? Good, good. Thank you. Thank you for, for having me, Reza. It's a, it's a pleasure. Um, everything, everything good uh, here, in, uh, here in Spain at the moment. Um, so it yeah. could, be, could be worse, but, um, but no, yeah. Working hard and uh, doing doing well and healthy. Great stuff. We have lots of things to cover, uh, but before we get into that, I have a question that I ask everyone, and it's always a surprising answer. If me and you were ten years old mm. and we were playing today, what would we be doing? If we were ten years old, yeah. Um, let's see. What was I doing when I was ten years old? Uh, was living in uh, I was living in New York at the time, uh, and I was uh, full on with with soccer. That was the that was the thing. Every every day practice. Uh, yeah, we'd probably be kicking kicking the ball around in uh, in Central Park or in no Pier 40, which was kind of the that downtown uh, uh, turf turf fields there. Um, uh, ten yeah, ten years old I think. Yeah, I mean that was kind of when I was full on with soccer literally every day, um, travel team. So we were traveling around um, on weekends to, do, to play tournaments. And then, uh, yeah, that was, that was kind of did the you aim? Did you aim to become a professional? Um, I, think, I think everyone's dream on the team was to become a professional. You know, you'd have, you'd have like your, I was, I was a goalkeeper. So, you know, I'd see all of the like Buffon or Ochoa. Those were like my, my references, reference goalkeepers. Um, and of course, you dream of of one day doing it, but I don't think I was, the, I didn't have that that tunnel vision. I have to become professional. I just kind of enjoyed yeah. enjoyed doing it. I guess speaking in retrospect, at the time I was just a kid, right? Um, yeah, yeah. But, um, but yeah, no, it's it's something that that I, that, yeah, that was a big part of my life, and that I I sometimes um, keep on keep on doing now. <laughs> Okay, okay. So was there anything, any activity that you were doing that led you to what you're doing today? Or was it some sort of an accidental, uh, you know, twist in, in, in the circumstances that you were having? Yeah, no, it was, it was, well, it was actually, it was soccer that led me to tailoring, funnily enough. Uh, right. So, so yeah, let's see, it's, it's, it starts way back. I mean, um, when I was about 15, um, 15, 14, well, my, my mom is a, is a pattern maker. So we had her studio in our place. That's at the time we were living in, in Spain and at the top floor, uh, my mom was working on, um, 
yeah, she had her studio there on kind of haute couture gowns with um, designers in, in New York and Madrid and stuff. And one day I'd kind of pop up stairs and I was curious about what she was doing. And um, there were some students from the from the fashion school in Madrid um, that would come over every every Saturday. And I was kind of like, well, you know, it's, that's, that's kind of cool what they're doing. I'd like to maybe see if I could make something of my own as well, see what the basics of pattern making, uh, pattern making is. So then I, I kind of joined I joined the um, the students at the same time that I was practicing literally every day. That's when soccer became more more intense. Um, so I would start by altering my my soccer jerseys, my training training jerseys because I was kind of one of those uh, skinny skinny guys. So everything was way too way too big on me. Um, so I just take it in, and then little by little, the other players were noticing, and they're like. Wait, how'd you get that uh, that sleeve to be a bit slimmer? And that's when you know everyone was starting to like do their you know push-ups and all that, going to the gym and everything. So the other goalkeepers were like, "Here, can you take my jersey and uh, you know alter it for me?" And I was like, "Yeah, yeah, just give it to me and I'll you know I'll figure it out." Yeah. You know, so there were some like raglan sleeve jerseys. I was like, "Oh shit, how am I gonna how am I gonna do this?" <laughs> but um, but uh, but no, it it was fun. I, I started learning the basics of pattern making. Um, with my mom, so she taught me really well the, the basics, the principles, what you should know, um, and then just started making kind of t-shirts and jeans and mm. um, kind of casual garments for myself that I could wear, um, you know, to school and that, you know, I could really, um, yeah, kind of practice with. Um, but so how old, were, how old were you at, the, at this time when you started to kind of do the alterations for your friends? Yeah, I was, I was maybe like uh, 15, 16 around there, yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, of course, that kind of grew a bit more and more. Um, and then, um, and then I went back to the states for for soccer to to play um, to play at the college level. And then I kept on kept on doing that. Basically, we had even larger clothes in the U.S. Uh, so I had right. more alterations to do. So you know those typical gray gray sweatpants. Um, yeah. Uh, well, I just kind of started taking those in, and then the next week before I knew it, I had you know 15 pairs of gray trousers on, uh, gray uh, sweatpants on my, on my uh, in my dorm room that I had to just you know alter and um, take in for all my teammates. Um, okay. So yeah, that was that was fun, and then so the coach found out uh, from the team, and he was like, oh, so you're into this and tailoring. I used to have a, a uh, one of our um, captains who who played here like maybe five, 10 years ago. Um, he has a shop in New York, like a ta bespoke tailoring shop. Like you should check it out when you're there, um, go say hi. Um, so that's what I did. I went to, to New York one, uh, yeah, one summer and I was like, if you need any help this summer, I'm happy to, you know, help out however I can. And, um, yeah, I was with a, at a shop called Miller's Oath in, in New York, in Tribeca. Um, mm -hmm. and yeah, his name is Kirk Miller and he's helped me a ton. I mean, we yeah we became super good friends and he really showed me the this whole world of uh, of tailoring which opened up a whole yeah a whole world for me which which I mm -hmm. which I'm kind of deeper into into now but he's really helped me you know support me through the process and kind of show me the the craft behind mm -hmm. it. an in shop in store tailor there that um, you know even though it's it's a bit uh. A, uh, yeah, a bit extreme. He did tie my finger down with the thimble, you know, and you oh, know, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> the typical thing. And then you know, it was just one day, and I was like, um, but yeah, you know, I got to see the process of 
of uh, opening up. I did a lot of opening up garments and all that. But anyways, I completely mm. um, thought it was my thing, you know, this whole tailoring world. Um, so it's, yeah, it's funny how through soccer I kind of ended up in that world. But I had some very some interesting affinity for it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So so Alex, when would you say was the time that you thought I'm really going to go for this? Was it the time when you went into uh, the workshop that your mom was running or was it the moment where you went to New York and you were kind of like working with an actual uh, tailor and you were a bit more experienced with small mm. alterations? When did that real determination kick in for you? Um, I think it was it was actually a, a bit later. So uh, those those summer experiences I, I did at a few different tailor shops after that. Um, and I did really enjoy it. But um, after a little while, it did get a bit... Uh, not not boring, but it was just like very traditional, and I wanted, you know, mm -hmm. so there's this creative part that I that I that I uh, that I was looking for. Um, so actually, after that, when I first when I graduated from college, I went straight into I went into women's wear actually, and I did um, I did design and, and production and, and all that stuff, um, which wasn't wasn't really for me. So then I, I I went back to tailoring, and then once I started getting you know, the day-to-day -day going into it more, I was like, okay, yeah, this is, this is definitely kind of the, the pace and the attention to detail and the craft that I'm, that I'm looking for. Um, and then it was maybe when I was maybe 20, around 20 or something that I was like, okay, I'm, you know what, if, if I really want to do this, I want to learn how to make, you know, the, the craft of it mm -hmm. and to go deeper. I'd done basically everything around it, you know, the communications, photography, um, at the at this at this tailoring shop, but everything of course minus the actual making, which I was kind of I guess realized that I was craving, right? So then that's when I said, okay, I'm gonna if I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna do it, and I yeah, and then I went to to London to um, to start this uh, this program at, at LCF, which which um, came with a lot of surprises, um, but. Mm -hmm that uh that really set my mentality to like okay i'm i'm doing this right when you say surprises what sort of surprises uh do you mean um so so okay so you you're there's this fantasy right in your mind that you're like okay i'm going to london i'm gonna be like this uh insane tailor there's a perfect course that says bespoke tailoring and caps letters and you know you're like oh this is amazing like paper drafting and pattern drafting and all that um right and um and then of course i arrived and i was lucky enough to be introduced to um uh through a common friends uh, one of the tailors uh well the, the head tailor at, at tom sweeney um just to i just wanted to figure out how what his path was how he got to where he was and um what his work was all about and then i was telling him i was doing this course and he was like um, you know, don't don't expect to become a tailor um, when you're when you're out of it. You know, it's it's uh, there was a bit of not skepticism, but there was a bit of you know doubt. And then I was like, oh shit! Well, I've come all this way um, just mm -hmm. to do this course, and I'm like, okay, I'm maybe I'll have to you know either give it give it the attention that I wanted, or at least give more. Uh, give more time and effort to it outside of the course than the actual course itself. Um, but right. in the end, I was, I was really quite lucky to have a, 
a tutor, um, Laura, who was really amazing. She was a technical tutor who taught us how to basically make a jacket, a trouser and everything. And that was the, really the, a great set of fundamentals and basics to be able to then practice on my own experiments on, with more things later. Um, mm -hmm. But I, I do have to say I was, I was quite, quite lucky. Right. Okay. Would you, well, he, he, one thing I've noticed is that you're, you're quite an unusual student. So you, you have, for people looking at your Instagram page, that what they would see is that, you, you know, you have a lot of interest into art and uh, the, the things you look at and the things you, you take photos of is you're very visually orientated. But at the same time, you can tell there is some sort of a curiosity behind it. Now, mm -hmm. I've seen that curiosity also in your work with what you're doing currently, which I'd like to talk about a lot because you, you're, you're a tailor, you, 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 you can cut patterns, you've got the entire background of doing all these alterations. So, so you've, got, you've got the foundation there, but it seems that it's not enough for you and you're trying to search for something beyond that. Mm. When we met like about last year, you showed me like a lot of samples mm -hmm. of, of natural dyes that you were working on and uh, it seemed pretty serious. And now it seemed like it seems like even more serious because now you, you're actually in Spain for like a year doing this in, on a very intense basis. So could you yeah. talk us a little bit through that, through the journey of, of you and what you saw beyond the just basics of tailoring and how you incorporated that into your work? Yep. Yeah, 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 for sure. I mean, like like I said, when I was when I was younger, when I was about, you know, first starting to see tailoring and all that, I was. Um, you know, I really like the craft and the world behind it. Um, but yeah, again, I kind of drifted away from it because I, it, I found it after a while it being not, I wouldn't say boring, but just, you know, there was, there was just something that was maybe, maybe missing. Um, mm -hmm. so then it was actually before, so the natural dye started uh, before I started my course at LCF that summer, right before, after I had kind of left my job in New York. Um, and then before starting, so I had this kind of this this time of of a bit of freedom to explore what i wanted to get my mind rolling about the whole thing about this this lcf program was like how can you do tailoring in a you know contemporary way or, or give it a fresh a fresh feel so I, that summer i was kind of just thinking about a ton of different things and and i was in um in the in this the south of france um just visiting and um, I stumbled across a dye garden, which was, which is Michel Garcia's um, dye garden. Who's he's one of the one of the central figures in the natural dyeing world. Um, and it was this amazing place and this castle. And you had this garden overlooking this amazing views. It was uh, really super picturesque. And every a huge dye garden, every plant had next to it a description of it um, with all the different colors that it could extract. And I was like, wow. This is really amazing. Like it's a it's a secret hidden world that you can't you don't you don't see it you know you can't see it um, but there's yeah all of this all this hidden um, potential that you can bring out. So I was like I would really love to to try to to work with that and and dive deeper into that world and implement it within within tailoring. Um, so as soon as I as I moved to uh, to London. Um, I started in my kitchen, just like starting with turmeric, you know, the basics, onion skins, avocado peels and all that, you know. Um, and then that's when I started getting all these swatches for my dye book that I that I showed you. And um, 
yeah, little by little, I just kind of became more curious more and more. And then there were these just little signs, you know, that you get that kind of push you to keep on going. Like you're kind of on the right path. Like even, you know, the, the guy at the paper shop and um, he was, you know, I had some swash laying around. He's like, oh, what's that? I was like, oh, I'm dying with uh, plants and all that stuff. He's like, oh, I used to do that when I was a kid, blah, blah, blah. Good, good stuff. Keep on going. So it's just like little things like that. that I was like, okay, maybe I'm on, I'm maybe onto something, no? Um, mm. There was also a dye garden at the Mare Street LCF campus as well. So there was another, nobody had touched it for like a year or something. So they were like, look, all yours, use whatever you want, basically. It's like, okay, great. I will. Um, and then, yeah, little by little, I kept on going and then uh, made a trip to Mexico, to Oaxaca, uh, which is kind of one of the meccas of, of natural dyeing. Um, so it was just like a solo trip out kind of in the middle of, of nowhere. Um, but it was a family of, that, that had been dying for three generations and they were also three generation um, hand weavers. So it was really amazing. And when I, while I was there, I was kind of, I got some sort of like shock or something. And I was like, all right, you've got to, you've got to, you've got to do this. Um, so at the same time, I'm, I'm learning tailoring, right? I'm, I'm at LCF. Um, I was also an, an intern for, for a good, yeah, two years at Tom Sweeney as well. So I, I was getting, you know, a good amount of exposure, just opening my eyes and ears to the, the world of bespoke tailoring as well. So the whole idea and mission this whole time has been to to mix those two worlds and try to explore the plant world the tailoring world and blend them together um mm -hmm. which, which kind of leads us to where i am where i am now in in spain like it's i won a a grant for basically a, a proposal a project of this same idea of implementing um the scents the essential oils found within plants and the natural dyes um found within plants um, and integrating them into a mini uh, collection of bespoke tailored garments. Um, so, to my surprise, I got the grant, and they said, "Yeah, we, you know, we want you to come to Spain for nine months to work on it with our um, our lab partners here. There's a hub where there's a bunch of technology and machinery that's very sustainable. That's cutting down on on water use, which in natural dyeing is a is a pretty big, uh, pretty big topic. Um, so, so yeah, I've been I've been here since since January, uh, working on on extracting new new colors from from plants from the area because it's we're surrounded by mountains, um, and working with the technologies here to kind of modernize this sort of ancient ancient process. Um, so right, it's, right. it's been yeah we've been getting a ton of colors and it's been a whole yeah we've been we've been getting a ton of of really great results both for the for the scientists here and, and for myself as well okay i have i have lots of questions now uh, okay. based on, on the story you did so so uh, starting with a few simple ones um obviously natural dyes is not something that you can just walk around every corner and there is someone willing to show you all the techniques so it's really a discovery process as, as, as i'm understanding from your story yeah. now as as a student and and i am not and i'm not saying this specifically as a as a tailoring student or like an lcf student or what's just a, a curious person willing to learn mm -hmm. how do you how do you um 
approach something that is almost hidden, you know it's being done, you know people are doing it, mm -hmm. but it's not in your immediate environment. How do you approach this knowing that you're on the right track, knowing that, oh yeah, these experiments that I'm doing in the kitchen or I'm, I'm in the bathtub, they're all <laughs> worth it and I'm actually you know, learning something. How, tell, tell us a little bit more about that. Um, yeah, I mean, I, for me, I think I've always been a sort of curious person, right? So when there's something that, that I find kind of amazing, like when you're, when you're doing this dyeing process and, you know, you, you find this color that completely unexpected from uh, a green plant, you find this red is, deep red is kind of hidden within it. You're like, wow, this is amazing. Like you want to check out all the different plants to see what else is in there. So I've, uh, yeah, as a person, I've always kind of kept on digging when I found something was, was interesting to me. Um, and yeah, I mean, the, the motivation to keep on, keep on going and to keep on um, staining bathtubs with indigo, uh, indigo dyes, uh, despite, uh, despite, you know, challenges with that um, is, yeah, I mean, is, um, is, is something that I, that I really in, enjoy doing. And also the failures uh, with certain plants as well, for example, I mean, you know, not all of them are going to give amazing colors. Some give really pale yellows and you're like, oh, shoot. But then also, what do you do with that? Because you can do a lot of different things. You can keep on. I, I've done a lot of, of research. There's a ton of, um, you know, uh, academic paperwork and also even blogs from, you know, grandmothers of natural dyeing. So you you can kind of pick and grasp a few different things here and there and then play around with it on your own and see what works for you. Um, and for example, even if you do get a really pale yellow that you're disappointed with, well, you know what, maybe, you know, you can, you can change the pH of it and then it can turn into a really bright orange um, or mm -hmm. dip a little bit of uh, a little bit of iron maybe, and it gives you a deep, uh, a deep gray. So it's kind of also, yeah, bringing out the full potential or kind of, um, playing around with, with what you've got. I think that's, yeah, that's yeah. what's important to me, I think, is also using what you've got around you instead of, you know, having to, you know, get something from all the way across the, the world is kind of seeing the potential of what you've got around you. Yeah. I imagine you what you're doing is also very precise in terms of registering what you're doing because maybe the first few times you know you're just throwing a little bit of this plant into you know hot water and then you're just just to see what happens but then if you want to really fine-tune the process you have to work, work with scales with you know how much am I using of this how much yeah um, do you do you uh, have you used the same process um, as in really measuring what you're doing also in tailoring and in the in the techniques that you're learning for example you're let's say you're practicing a pocket do you register what you do and all the steps or do you see that it's no that's a very different way of working for me and this is a very different how do you how would you describe that no no i would i would say um it's it's very similar to to my to 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 my experience in tailoring and they've kind of both gone in parallel which is uh which is kind of kind of nice as well because you kind of pick up on certain things that you could use in one and, and the other. But I think the more you do um, each one of them, the more you kind of find yourself tuning, fine tuning, um, yeah, like 
measurements and and weights and how much how much water how much dye but then also on the tailoring side um you know millimeters or the way that you do certain things but i think it's more it's more the understanding that you get from it so with with the tailoring it's more understanding why you're doing certain stitches to create certain effects so mm-hmm. um you know yes you're you're pad stitching uh, a lapel why are you why are you pad stitching it why are you doing more stitches more tighter stitches compared to bigger longer stitches um why are you you know um gathering in at the at the bridle like it, it's just the understanding um of processes like these um that yeah kind of have yeah that have that have made me understand more of what i'm doing and why i'm doing certain stitches and the same thing with natural dyeing it's it's the chemistry behind it as well why does this pale yellow turn into uh, a gray why does with a bit of acidity why does it turn more orange and stuff so it's it's also answering the why questions the further you you get into it um and then i think that's what gives you more flexibility and more of an open mind in the future um mm-hmm. as to how to create more new possibilities and having this set the set of tools that you can and understandings that then you can apply in different in different ways uh, with different plants or different cloths or different garments and things like that. Um, yeah. and, and I do have to say that while, you know, the first, the first year or two that I was doing natural dyeing and tailoring, I was kind of, you know, you know, going, going with the flow, you know, just not too, too precise, but, you know, I, I kept my, my eye out for, you know, what I thought was correct. Um, but then, yeah, little by little, um, you go fine tuning here and in Spain with the labs here, everything is to the 0.01 milliliter. Um, and at the beginning I was kind yeah. of, oh yeah, whatever, it's fine, you know, plus or minus 0.05. And they're like, no, this is, uh, this is not how, how we work here. Uh, we've got to, you know, get those, get that very precise. We have to record this because we want this to be scalable. We want this to be reproducible. So if numbers are off, then something else will, um, you know, snowball effect will happen. And, you know, sometimes the same thing can happen in tailoring, you know, you do like, oh, yeah, it's fine. Like um, this, this little, um, I don't know, this little detail here, it doesn't matter. I can just leave it like that. But then you maybe realize in the, in the future that it does snowball and you're like, oh, shoot, you know what? I maybe should have actually paid more attention to that. Um, right, so, yeah, right. Parallel so between both worlds. Okay, okay. So, so you kind of like, you know, you, you do all of this experimentation on your own. And now you're in Spain, you're, you're surrounded with laboratories and, and experts and people who are working on precise scales and they're trying to really develop a technology for, is it, is it correct to say, sustainable natural dyeing? Yep, yep, exactly. Yeah, it's, um, that's one of the goals of the project is to, is to make natural dyeing more sustainable and also more approachable for on an, an industrial scale. So for small to mid to large size companies to be able to say, look, I want to replace the use of synthetic dyes, which are polluting our, our waters. And we want to you know, take a step forward and try to make at least maybe a collection or capsule collection of our garments um, naturally dyed. So being able to offer a range of colors 
that comes straight from the plant. I mean, you've got a ton of pigments that are and extracts that are commercially available already, but it's about also expanding that vocabulary too. So that's kind of the, the goal. So the, what, I, what I'm understanding is that it's kind of like a bit of a contradiction, but um, natural dye by, by, by its nature is not a very sustainable thing, is it? Because it requires, like you say, tons of water and then uh, you, you really have to have an infrastructure for, for getting the ingredients, for harvesting them, for planting them, looking after them. The plants need a lot of water. So it's like a very, very labor intensive and costly process. Yeah. Do you think, so being there and having worked there uh, with the labs and the projects that you've been working on, do you think there is a, a possibility that's quite close into the future for, for natural dyes to become something um, like a normal everyday thing and even replace synthetic dyes in some fields? Or do you think, no, we've got like a, years ahead of us to, to, to work? I mean, um, that's, 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 a good, that's a good question. I mean, hopefully... Um, it can replace, but it's true what what you do say that it is very it's very labor intensive. It's very uh, it requires a lot of resources, a lot of water, a lot of energy. Um, but we did do we did do a comparison here of my traditional hand dyeing in a 50 liter pot for two meters of fabric compared to the machines that they're using here, and mm -hmm. the energy and water use are cut down by. 70% using these new sustainable technologies. So it's 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 also about being s somewhat smart about it and how how you use natural dyes as well. Um, yes, there's the there's the charm of you know having having your pot and hand dyeing your fabrics and and there's a whole magic to it because you've got you know there, I believe that there's a um, a sort of uh, uh, of energy, you know, that's transmitted from from the person that's actually working with the fabric with their hands and dyeing it, um, extracting the plant and picking the plant themselves and everything. Um, and I was very much into that mentality before arriving here. Um, and then when I got here, I was like, okay, um, that's that's perfectly fine and that's great for special, very special pieces, one-off pieces. But if you want to make an impact on a larger scale on an ind industry that's already in a situation that's mm -hmm not very environmentally um, friendly, well then there have to be new new approaches and new perspectives um, as to how, how we're gonna use it. Um, in the future, I think people are, it's also about the public, no? Uh, natural dyes, it's about consistency of, of the color that comes out as well. Um, you don't get, with synthetic dyes, you know you'll get the same color every time. With natural dyes, not as much. So it's also the public being open-minded to maybe a slight change in tone of a certain color that it might not all be the same. But I, th I think that nowadays we're kind of looking at, um, we're looking for things that are a bit different, that are not, you know, that you're not going to see somebody um, wearing the exact same thing next to you on the street, you know? Um, yeah. But yeah, hopefully, hopefully in the, in the future we can replace um, synthetic dyes. And I know that you know, factories are taking um, initiatives of having filters and cleaning the waters that they emit and everything, and that's that's all good too. But um, I guess there's also a slightly artistic approach to the natural dyes as well, as well where there's it's kind of a bit of a, a unique selling point too. You know, it's it's something a bit a bit different um, because we don't really ask ourselves where where does 
color come from? You know, we've been so accustomed to being like, oh, this is a blue shirt, you know? Um, sure, there are different tones of blues, but we don't, we never think where is this blue made? How is it, how is this blue made? Uh, we're starting to think about that, about our clothing. Where is this t-shirt made? Um, but then I guess the next step is to think about where or how the color is made as well. Mm -hmm. What what benefits would you say that uh, having the technology of natural dyes kind of like a bit matured? What what possibilities and what kind of impacts will it have on other industries? I remember you mentioned uh, you mentioned once something about restaurants and, and and the waste they have. Talk us a little bit through that because it's not just like oh we get natural dyes and we can produce clothing with natural dyes, but it seems to affect other industries as well, almost like a waste management solution for multiple industries. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, no, that's, that's, a, that's a great point. That's, um, that's something I've discovered here as well, is that um, when, you're, when you're talking about natural dyes, it's not just about the color, it's also about you know, the plants, how it's been grown, how they've been used before as well. So um, what I've been trying to do as much as possible is to use waste yes for example from restaurants like maybe two months ago we went to go have um have lunch at a, at a restaurant around here and um here a big thing are um artichokes um artichoke dishes and the thing about artichokes is that you've got a ton of these these leaves right and you've just got a, that little bit of of meat that you that you eat off at the bottom and then you've got the heart of course um but then as we were walking out they were taking out the trash and there was literally two full cases of just leaves of artichokes and i was like what are you guys going to do with that and they're like oh yeah no we're just gonna we're gonna throw it out and i was like uh, can you can you just maybe leave it uh there for me i'll 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 take it back and i'll i'll take care of it um so then i brought it back home and i i uh extracted the the dye from it which which ended up being like a a, a beige but then i kind of played around with with a ph a bit and with uh, with a little bit of iron got this really nice deep gray had you know pre-mortinted my fiber with some you know some some soy milk and all that to intensify the color and then yeah ended up you know getting you know something that could be used for maybe like your sleeve lining or something you know you maybe had some some stripes or something um but uh but yeah the idea is also about being able to work with um local producers as well i was walking through the through the through the mountain and People have to cut off their their olive branches so that there isn't an infestation of a certain pest that eats off the olives, and they have to always um, keep on trimming their trees. If not, their olives are gonna are not gonna survive, and they have they need those olives to make their olive oil. Um, so then I asked I asked the the man there as well, what are you gonna do with with those leaves that you just cut off? And he said, oh no, we we burn them at the end of of each month. Um, because yeah, it's just not good for the trees. So I was like, you know, can you can you pass me those those branches you've got there? Because I'm actually working with olive olive leaves for natural dyes, and um, it's this idea of maybe prolonging the life of something that we think is considered waste, um, mm -hmm. and then just using it in a different way. I mean, yes, if you think about it, at, at the very end, it will end up being waste again, but at least you're prolonging the life cycle of what actually might not really be waste. Um, so anyways, yeah, that's, that's, I'll, I'm all trying to implement that into tailoring as well, because it all has something of, I don't know, this hand, 
uh, something that has to do with with the hand and and uh, and plant and tailoring and all that. I I think it kind of goes hand in hand in one way, at least in in my mind. So I'm just mm-hmm. trying to 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 bring that bring that all together um, to make you know some garments that have a bit of a story behind them that have helped you know re- yeah reduce waste or at least take advantage of of uh, of maybe oranges orange peels that were going to be thrown away or leaves that were going to be burned and things like that. Do you think that tailoring companies like the traditional tailoring companies uh, could have access to this technology in a way that because obviously not every client wants to have something made from a natural dye fabric uh, and uh, not every tailoring company wants to brand themselves as an all-natural dye so uh, there's going to be limited maybe orders of people wanting to do that or a one-off project how do you think that tailors can have access to this technology without uh, it being too expensive for them or uh, too time consuming, uh, well, I guess it comes down to the same thing. Um, and also have access to the resources, like if a ta- let's say a big tailoring company wants to have like a hundred meters of, of uh, some cotton dyed with orange peel or what, whatever, right. um, how, how would they have to approach it? Because you know, where do you get the hundred orange peels, the, and which orange peels, you know, how do you go through the process? What do you think about that? Yeah. Yeah. Well. Yeah. No. That's that's a good question. I mean, in the from what I've experienced in the traditional um, bespoke tailoring process, there's usually when a client comes in, you show them different swatches, right, of different fabrics, um, and then you know they can have a, a look through it, um, which is fine when you have fabrics that have been um, that have been woven uh, with that same color tone that can be matched, basically. With natural dyes, that's a bit trickier because if you have a swatch um, of mm-hmm. a dye that you did last year or in winter or in summer, when that specific plant um, is, you know, is is better, you know, brings out more color in winter versus in summer, well, then you're going to have a completely different color if that client picks it half a year later. So, so the, the I mean, the, sh- the short-term solution is that you have to, right, pre-dye, dye your fabrics first, cut lengths, and then offer those as you know, as as your two meters or two and a half meters that you'll make that jacket of, and then you know that you don't have to have the worry of trying to reproduce it and getting the exact same tone, which with natural dyeing is not mm, is almost not not. I mean, it's possible, but it's very difficult to achieve. Um, in terms of dyeing. Dying, dying piece fabrics. It can be done for for small for smaller amounts, two meters, four meters, and such. But when you're trying to talk about larger lengths, like 50 meters, 100 meters, the I think for the future it would be smarter to collaborate with mills um, and to dye the the yarns instead of the final fabrics. Because when you're dyeing yarns, the the weaving is done is done after, right? So then you get a much cleaner finish, and you have it really integrated into into the fabric. When you're dyeing the final piece of fabric, what you're doing is actually you first have to extract, take out the oils and all the post treatments that have been done in the weaving process. So you're stripping it away from all of that. Then you're um, 
then mordanting it with, you know, special like alum, for example, like a salt so that the, the color actually binds to the um, to the fabric. And then after that, you're dyeing. And then after you're, you know, you're left with a with yeah with with a special fabric, but um, that's only for smaller lengths. For longer lengths, I feel like something cool could really could really be done with with mills and um, you know having certain you know certain certain lengths um, made in collaboration. I think could be really interesting, at least for the tailoring for the tailoring industry. Um, if we want to go beyond just the cuts of of two meters. Do you, do you think that, uh, well, you said something like about the public being open for like, you know, having inconsistent colorings, you know, if, if they're buying something or even not the public as in the, the, the customers, but also as the mills themselves or, or, or even the people who are doing the dyeing. Mm -hmm. uh, what, what sort of similar things do you think has to be in place, whether there are values or more tangible things like a specific infrastructure for natural dyes to really become something popular, something mm. uh, as as um, as real as you know the the traditional uh, polluting, uh, let's say, synthetic dyes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I think it has to come. It has to come from both the the consumer and the the tailor or brand or or whoever is is making making their products. I mean. I think there has to be there's a story to be told because within natural dyes there's a lot to be told whether it's the history of the plants the history of the dye the history of the color I mean there's there's already a lot there to to talk about um, but then there's also this you know you have to you have to make it relatable right something that that the public can be like oh you know what I didn't know that I think that's that's kind of cool or maybe. I don't know. There, there has to be some sort of link between natural dyes and the public and the brand. So this kind of this kind of triangle that that binds them binds them together. And um, I mean, I don't know exactly how how that can be done, but um, but I mean nowadays with um, with social and with you know photography and video and all that, you have there are a lot of tools that can be used to really mm -hmm give this image of natural dyes which maybe like you know 10 10 15 years ago was not as as uh, as well adopted or well seen it maybe had this this hippie uh connotation um but there's there's definitely the the potential for it to be something else today i mean in it depends how you implement it how you want to implement it i mean you can make bed sheets out of it. You can make bespoke suits out of it. You can make T-shirts out of it. So it's kind of really up to up to the the brand or the or the yeah or the maker to to be how how you want to portray the um, the image of, of natural dyes, which I think is quite exciting because it's something that that is has yet to 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 blossom. Maybe I don't know. Yeah. We'll see. Well, you're see. doing also other interesting things around scent recently in the, in those laboratories. Uh, what what sort of projects uh, are you tackling there? What sort of ideas are you guys playing around with? Yeah. So so the idea um, here at the lab is not only to extract the the dye the the color from the plants, but also to extract the the essential oils from them and then integrate them into the um, into the fabric, in, into the fabrics we're dying with. So it's kind of making these 
these mega garments, mega fabrics that have a lot of things embedded within them, but that are uh, that are kind of subtle. Um, and it's kind of based on the principles also of of aromatherapy and kind of has to do with the well-being of when someone wears a, a jacket, you know, maybe there's that subtle smell of lavender that can that can come out or of, of thyme. Um, and the idea is to integrate both this, the same the, the scent and the color of that same plant within a garment. Um, so we're we're playing we're playing with this um, this technology called uh, micro encapsulation, where basically um, these essential oils are are encapsulated into yeah uh, a little capsule basically, um, extremely tiny, um, but that basically you can apply with one of these machines that we have. I mean, you can even put it in your in your washing machine if you want, but um, these microcapsules right. are extremely uh, expensive. But with this um, with this machine that we have here, it's it's basically it's called it's a nebulization machine. And the way it works mm -hmm. is that it has a little nozzle and this nozzle goes spraying out um, both the dye and and also the um, these um, uh, these microcapsules. And it goes little by little so that um, all of what's being sprayed goes onto the fabric. None of it is being wasted. So we've been playing with different percentages of how much, um, how much percentage of, of scent we want to integrate into the fabric. Maybe certain essential oils are stronger than others. Um, I haven't got yet gone into the part of combining essential oils, but next week we're actually going to be doing some tests, um, combining a few of them. We've got orange, lavender, thyme, rosemary, um, and eucalyptus. Um, so those are kind of the, the ones that we're playing around with now. And in the future, of course, you can make your own perfume and you can micro-encapsulate that and then you can integrate that into your fabric as well. And the special thing about this technique is that it it supposedly stays within the fabric. It's Since these are such small particles, they're embedded within the fibers and they stay mm -hmm. for more than for more than 20, 20 washes. Is what right, it's, that's a lot. That's what it's claimed to, to do with certain resins that are applied, which, uh, which protects these little particles from being too volatile, basically. I've used, right. I've used kind of the, the most organic way, which is not using this resin, because this resin also has you know, some, some sort of chemicals in it as well. Um, so it has maybe a lifespan of, of 10 washes, and that's what we're testing as well. We're seeing the, the durability of them, and, um, and basically the way it works is that with friction, once these microcapsules are embedded within the, the fabric, when there's friction, there's a bit of a, a little explosion of these microcapsules, and that's when they're, they're released. Um, so last week when we first did our, our first round with, with time, it was the first time that I had that I really um, experienced it, and it's, it's really quite amazing. It's a little, a little uh, explosion there, and then um, yeah, just the way that you can integrate natural scents into your garments, I think, is is something that's that's interesting, and that can you know, it won't it won't absolutely change your life, but maybe it'll it'll uh, improve uh, maybe your your well-being for for a minute or just to change, you know, at least bring you back to certain memories that you had. And I think that's the power of scent as well, which I know you've been, you've been exploring as well as, is the, is the power that it has to, to bring us back to certain memories, to, 
to really um, have this this subtle um, effect on our on our subconscious that we might not even realize, but that um, all of a sudden happens. So it's it's also playing about playing with these with these with these subtle things that I think is is really amazing. It's not in your face. It's something that you know um, you're like oh you know a little a little moment of a little aha moment you know. Yeah, yeah. Do you uh, do you have anything that you you could advise people or students who are watching this and think like yeah you know I'm actually quite inspired by um, Alex's work and and natural dyeing and I'd like to try a few things out at home. Are are there basic things that everyone have has access to and they could do to start their journey into uh, natural dyeing? And if that is the case, what would you recommend uh, people uh, if, who who are interested? Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, um, my recommendation would first be uh, use your use your garbage basically. Use what you eat. You know, if you're eating um, avocados, keep the pits, keep the skins. If you're eating onions, keep the skins. Put them in your in your freezer. Accumulate them a little bit over time, and then once you have enough, uh, you can start experimenting with that. There's no need to you know throw away. Um, something that you can you can maybe use in the future. I mean, and you can you literally just need a kitchen and a pot, um, and you don't really even need a a scale if you don't want to. You just like throw it in there and just to start, just to you know that feeling of seeing the color being extracted from from uh, from what you would have thrown away. I think is is quite special. And then yes, you can you know there are different ways of of preparing fabrics before dyeing it. I mean the you. You can have you can pre-treat it with with alum, which is a kind of salt. Or if you don't really care about the light fastness, you can just put it in soy milk, a mixture of soy milk and water overnight. The next day it's ready. Um, and then yeah, I mean it's really it's really about experimentation. It's it's a personal thing as well. There's no like precise exact uh, book about how each like things have to be done perfectly. There's there's very much an open mindedness to it. Um, so it's something that's actually quite quite easy to do. I mean, with larger cuts of fabric, that gets a bit more complicated. You you need a bigger pot, um, bigger you know bigger spoon. Um, but uh, but I, I managed last last year in in lockdown, I got myself a big 50, 50 liter fifty liter pot, um, and then just a few a few uh, extracts as well. There's some commercially available extracts that you just kind of have to you can dissolve in in water that come from a plant plant base um, and and yeah I mean it's it's a whole adventure so like once once you start getting into it you you can really play around and and uh, experiment too with tie-dye shibori uh, you know post treatments with rusty nails I mean again it's what you you can look at what you have around you and for sure you have what you need for natural dyeing very very interesting now just another question about the micro um, encapsulation encapsulation that you mentioned what what is it is it a powder form or is it, is it like liquid form how, how does it work actually don't have it don't have it here but it's it is it's a liquid form so basically you start with your with the essential oil which is a, a clear kind of constant very concentrated um, liquid uh, from a plant and then um, after that, that is then microencapsulated, and then it comes out in a very kind of like a, a sort of light, milky um, sort of sort of texture. And you need a much more essential oil than you get 
um, than you end up getting of, of microcapsules. Um, but yeah, it ends up being this, this sort of liquid. You don't even see the microcapsules because they're so small. Um, mm -hmm. But then what you do with these microcapsules is that you have to um, blend them with a little bit of, of, uh, of softener, which is what you do in the last stage of, of the dyeing process, at least here with the, with the technology. Um, and, and yeah, that's, that's basically, I mean, there's specific labs that work just on micro encapsulation. I know there's, they do it here, but they're quite busy, um, developing new sorts of capsules. So from different, different bases, um, there's, there, there are centers in Barcelona and Slovenia and kind of a bit around the world. And it's a bit tricky to, you know, to get in, in touch with them, but, um, but for them, they're happy to experiment with new plants as well, because for them, it it broadens their their offering, and um, and they're they're happy to do it. So I've I've had the the chance to be introduced to to some other labs as well that have helped me, that have helped me with that too. Yeah. Right. Okay. Okay. Well, la la last part of our interview is this speed round, which I'd like to do. So I have a list of a few words, um, and I'll tell them to you, and then you tell me. The first thing that pops up your mind. All right. All right. Okay. A, so starting with. Do I, answer, do I answer with a word or just a, a sentence or whatever comes to mind? Um, it's if 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 there is a word in your mind, the, that's and that's the first thing. You know, go for it. If it's a sentence, go for it. Or even if you want to expand on it, but uh, I, it, the shorter the better. The more compressed the better. Okay. Cool. Um, okay. So synthetic dyes. <laughs> Uh, danger. Dangerous. Okay. <laughs> um, apprenticeships. Um, uh, knowledge, learning. Knowledge, learning. Okay. Okay. Repetition. Repetition is, uh, I'd say, uh, practice and getting, uh, not necessarily getting better. Actually, I'd I'd say. Uh, Repetition is maybe a movement. Movement. Savile Row. Um, uh, tailoring. Tailoring, okay. okay. Um, alteration.